Welcome to YOLOpreneur. Quit your job and start a business. My name is John Simmerlink, and I'm dropping out of college to build an education app. Join me in interviewing entrepreneurs, CEOs, and millionaires for advice. All right. Well, th thanks for joining the show, Kevin. Uh, hey, everyone. No problem. Today, today we have uh, Kevin Ockridge. He is a 20-year-old at Ohio State, at the Ohio State University, and uh, he makes $80 an hour contracting. I met Kevin about uh, four or five years ago through a tech program in Cincinnati and did some internships with him at GE, and then uh, one day figured out that he has his contracting business, and he wants to share how he does this uh, to other college students. Um, so without further ado, here's Kevin. Hey, Kevin. Um, you know, how, how, how did you get started contracting? How did you, you know, get that first project? Sure. So what actually ended up happening was um, I came into college pursuing a biomedical engineering degree. So I thought, you know, I'd love to do technology and medicine together. Uh, what ended up happening was that was sort of a generalization of both of those fields, and I really wanted to specialize more in one. So I went towards computer science, and at that time, I was sort of behind the internship, you know, grab a job curve, um, and so it was a little too late for me to do that. And so that summer, I was sort of sitting around, and I sort of refused to work this, you know, nine-to-five sort of crap McDonald's job, I guess you could call it, um, and I decided that I would take the skills I'd already learned. I had done you know, two or three internships at Fortune 50 companies, luckily in high school uh, with you, like you mentioned. And I decided to take those skills and apply them in industry, see if I couldn't get clients and replace at least the same amount of income that I would get from working a traditional summer job with uh, freelancing. And that ended up working out really well, and I took it way beyond that. All right. So, so you said one summer you're sitting there. You know, you don't have a job for the summer, and you start doing, you know, contracting. How did how do you do that? You pick up the phone and I don't know, call someone you knew who likes websites. I mean, how, how do you get started doing that? Sure. The first thing I did was uh, I reached out to a lot of local contacts I have. Um, luckily, I knew people, you know, starting business website, um, you know, establishing and selling products online. And I had also worked for a few people um, sort of ad hoc in the past. So I had some level of portfolio starting out. Um, now, when I started out, it was sort of slow. I started doing work at very, very cheap rates, um, things like $12 an hour, and just trying, like I said, to make the equivalent of your sort of traditional summer job. Um, so that, that process really looked like, reaching out to my my local web presences or people who I thought could benefit from selling online or being found through search engines, things of that nature. Um, I found out pretty quickly that it's, it's a pretty exhaustive process. So, you know, it doesn't um, scale very well. You can't get a lot of clients that way and you can't really push your rates. Um, and, you know, there there are systems out there like Upwork and Elance and Fiverr, which uh, I'm also happy to give my opinion on. And so those are a good way to sort of get your starting jobs, but not a way to really sustainably um, create a business or have a rate that's pretty 
this 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 first few months over the summer, you know, your first few jobs are about twelve dollars an hour, and um, then you, you imply that you use different techniques and uh, kind of change clients and eventually raise your rates. Um, how did you, you know, well, when did you first raise your rates to let's say like twenty or thirty an hour, and how did that process go about? Sure. So basically that process looked like um, for a while I was working for companies that did web applications or just doing basic WordPress installs right there in the beginning. And um, the switch really happened when I switched the type of work that I was um, doing for clients. So I switched to more of like web application, full stack web development, um, server side programming versus doing basic WordPress installs and maintenance and things of that nature that really anyone can do. It doesn't take a whole lot of specialized knowledge. Um, so when I switched more towards this specialized custom development, I was able to raise my rates at that time. Um, essentially, because of basic WordPress installs and things like that don't take that much time, um, those clients were turning over really fast. So when I switched to, you know, custom development and custom solutions and applications for my clients, they're generally longer-term projects that pay better, and you're able to, you know, establish a relationship with them and and have a higher rate as well. Gotcha. And uh, how, how long is your typical project with a client? Oh, boy. Um so I guess at that time it was it was pretty short. I would say it was about two to two and a half months for um, some general project. The clients that I take on now are mostly really long-term clients who um, I'm doing work with and know will need a lot of work in the future, and that makes things really easy on me because it's really easy to uh, work with them and manage my time and sort of have that process coincide with school as well. Um, it's also really nice because when you have these longer-term clients, you can make decisions on your, whether you want to pursue a higher rate or work with different clients. And when you find a client that's really good, you want to stick with them because when you're working for $12 an hour for cheap clients, those are generally the worst clients to work for because – you know, they want things done as quickly as possible for as cheap as possible, and it's sort of a bad relationship there. They're just really looking for the work as opposed to working for someone who is looking for the value that you can provide. And when you focus on the value you provide, that's when you can really raise your rates. Right. So how how did you find these customers that care more about the value as opposed to, you know, just finishing a little WordPress plugin? Sure, sure. So largely, um, I started, uh, like I said, with the local community, and there are systems out there like Upwork and Elance and Fiverr, right, that people are familiar with. Um, and, and they can be okay for starting, but ultimately are going to prevent you from making the real money, and, and they take a percentage of the cut, which ends up being a ridiculously large amount, and it it's a really hard way to have long-term relationships with clients. So basically the best way to do it is to establish your personal brand, network online, find um, people and clients that will refer you to other people. It, it, there's definitely not um, 
one tried and true method. But once you sort of work on a few projects, a lot of the times the way I find my clients now, at least the really good ones are through referral. Um, because people know when clients and, and people have really good businesses, really good relationships with them, and they'll pass that on to you. Gotcha. All right. Uh, one question that, you know, keeps coming to mind is how do you get the courage to ask for higher prices? Because I've heard other developers who are talented, they can make things quickly and with high quality, and they're too afraid to charge more than $20 an hour. Right. Yeah, so this that takes some time to get used to um, because, you know, at first, like I said, you're, you're working for $12 an hour and you're thinking, oh, this is so much better than, you know, working at McDonald's or working at the nearest uh, coffee shop or something of that nature. And and for a while, you know, you're uh, like, at least for me, I was happy with doing that. Um, and what I didn't realize was that when you price based on the value versus your time, you can get paid way more. Um, you have to consider when you're looking at your clients what the value is that you're offering to them. So, for example, if you have um, a software as a service business that you're building features for, then you can take a look at how many customers do they have a month and how many people use these features that I build for them, right? Um, if they're making, who knows, uh, 50K a monthly recurring revenue, and you're building out the features of this application, then it, it makes sense to start to ask for more money. Um, building at $12 an hour is, is basically just being ripped off. Um, so you want to focus on the value you're providing them. Maybe you're working for, um, I'll use an example that I did um, when I was raising my rates. I worked for a moving company, actually. And so the moving company was trying to establish their business online, they were trying to lead so that they could then in real life, you know, have them be clients of their own. And so you want to sort of focus on how much is one lead worth to this client? And if I can generate just one lead, how much money are they going to make, right? And then realistically look at how many leads you're going to get them and price based on that. Determine your hourly rate based on that and your proposal based on that because um, if you base it on just the amount of time that you put in, you're going to end up pricing lower and being less confident about your skills. Gotcha. So should you do hourly rates or, let's say, like a lump sum rate based on a percentage of the amount of value you increase in your business? Sure. So generally the way I do this is, and, and this is a, a pretty big discussion, right, whether you want to do project-based pricing or hourly-based pricing. Generally, um, if I'm working for a client for a long term, then I will set an hourly rate with them that makes sense. Um, if it's a shorter-term project, then I look more closely at what are they really interested in building here um, because they're not really interested in, oh, I want an opt-in form. What they're really interested in is, is they want more sales for their business, right? So I have to say, we we lost you for about fifteen seconds. Can you repeat the past fifteen seconds you said? Yeah, sure, no problem. So basically, all I was saying is it depends on the scenario. If it's a shorter term project, personally, I try to focus mostly on the value, which is something like. 
let's say they want something as simple as a opt-in form, right? Then you're looking at, okay, what do they really want in this scenario? They want more leads for more sales, and what's that worth to them? And then I'll price the project based on that. But if um, it's a client that I have for a longer term, then I generally set an hourly rate that makes sense for both of us um, that is still, you know, equivalent on the value that I'm able to provide to them and that they get out of my work, but provides more stability in the relationship such that we know how much things are going to cost and and how much time things are going to take. Gotcha. All right, now let's talk about Fiverr and Upwork. You mentioned those platforms. You said you had some thoughts on those. What are your thoughts on those platforms? Sure. Um, uh, to put it to put it very bluntly, I think uh, Upwork and Elance and Fiverr are where uh, freelancers go to die. Um, <laughs> so basically, it's really hard to work on those platforms because there's all kinds of barriers to making money from the fact that they'll take 20% of whatever you make to the clients that typically use these platforms are really poor clients to work with. They want things to happen really fast. They want them to happen really cheap. They don't understand the technical side of what's going on and why you might not be able to build something in a certain way. Um, it's generally a very uh, poor market for getting freelance jobs. Um, having said that, a lot of people end up flocking to these kind of platforms because they don't know how to get clients. They don't know how to get these higher quality clients that will pay them more and work with them and understand um, sort of the, the benefits and pitfalls of, of freelancing and the work that you can provide for them. So I guess my, my advice for people first starting out is that, Upwork and Elance and Fiverr, um, they're going to have trade-offs. If if you're looking to sort of build your portfolio and you're looking to get your first couple of clients, they're not the worst place to start, but they're definitely a really bad place to start. Um, <laughs> they're they're um, set up such that you have to do things like work really low-paying jobs just to get history on your profile. You have to... Um, make sure that every client gives you five-star ratings and, and says you're absolutely great. Otherwise, um, you're screwed, basically. If you rely on platforms like that for the majority of your income or your job, and that platform ends up failing you because of a bad review or because they shut down, then you're, you totally lost your income stream. So it's, it's not a great way to go, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Gotcha. All right, this, this brings me to another question. Uh, how many hours a week are you working on uh, client work? I know you have personal projects and you also have school, you know, taking full credit hours there. Uh, you know, how many hours a week do you work on client work? Sure. So I try to limit myself to working um, a max of 20 hours a week on client work. Um, so I, I generally am probably working about an average of 15 hours a week. This is – something that I could definitely maximize or minimize, which is really nice about freelancing, right? You can sort of control how much you want to work, when you want to work, and that's what makes it super possible and super awesome for doing while you're in school because, you know, you work whenever you want. You choose your hours. If you um, you have flexibility on the kind of projects you want to work on, when you get to the point where um, I am, at the very least, 
I have a lot more proposals and work coming in than I'm able to take because, like I said, I'm only working 15 um, hours a week. And so that's also a really neat place to be. Um, it definitely takes a lot of time and a lot of effort to get to a place where you have more work coming in than you can accept. And that's also part of how you raise your rate, right? When you have more work than you can take, you generally raise your rates until such time as the work slows down and, and those rates are accepted at a rate that you can do the work. Right. So let, let, let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about an example. I know you said you're working on a project where at first they're paying you 60 and then you kept telling them, like, hey, you know, I, I want to work on other things. I'm going to have to raise my rates, and they just accepted it. Yeah, yeah. So this was something I was really surprised about um, early in, in freelancing and industry. Um, the first time I did it, I, I think I was working probably for $30 an hour or so. And I basically told the client, um, like, this kind of project work isn't something that, you know, I really need in my portfolio. It isn't something that is going to help me continue to raise my rates or um, continue to advance, you know, my business in general. And so, you know, I'm basically cutting you as a client. And you can do that when you have enough work coming in that you then switch to a different client. And um, it was a longer-term relationship, and so that's why I sort of was saying that instead of, you know, completing the project and then saying, okay, let's move on to the next client. But basically what they told me was, um, you know, the value that you're offering us is is so high that if we can pay you more, then we want you to stay um, and you'll accept it, then we want you to stay. And so it's just another uh, reinforcement, you know, of this idea that um, developers and, and people in general uh, price themselves too low, price the, don't focus on the value that they're offering. And um, if you're fortunate, you're working with clients that do recognize, you know, the value that you're offering. But um, the best place to be in is when you have the option to sort of let that client go and move on and have other work available. That'll put you in a scenario where, you know, you have clients saying, but don't leave, we'll pay you more. Um, so, yeah, that's basically the long and short of it. Gotcha. In that particular example, they're paying you 30 what did they start paying you after you kind of told them you didn't want to work with them anymore? Um, I ended up raising my rate to about $45 an hour. So it was like a 150% increase, right? Which at <laughs> yeah, the time yeah. was crazy. Um, so that that is, um, is pretty ridiculous. And so you can tell um, when you're in college and when you're taking these jobs, you're really fortunate because the alternative jobs – probably don't pay um, as well as, you know, some of these freelance jobs do. And so when you're priced at $30 an hour, to you that might be like three times what you would make somewhere else. Um, but to them, that's like a fourth of the cost of like an agency uh, or a developer that they would normally hire. Um, and so hopefully you can you can push your price up and get it higher um, closer to a professional or someone like that, but it makes it really competitive for you to be able to get jobs and get a lot of them really quickly. Right. Uh, how, how much do agencies usually charge per hour? How much do I currently charge per hour? No, no how, how much do agencies charge per hour? Oh, agencies. Oh, that can vary widely. Um, so generally, if you work with an agency, what happens is they 
they hire or have talent on hand, right? So they have a team of developers and designers and things of that nature. And you tell them, you know, sort of what your project requirements and specifications are. And they might be paying their developers, you know, some hourly rate or salary. And you are, they're basically acting as a middleman for these, these freelancers. So you end up with higher rates. So what ends up happening is agencies will cost anything from two to three times as much as a freelancer might. Um, but you have more structured um, project proposals. All is now being recorded. All right. Sorry there. We, we uh, lost connection for a second. Kevin was just saying that agencies charge about two to three times more than a freelancer charge. Um, so you, you're in, in – in these numbers, you're saying a freelancer charges what? That 75 an hour, and an agency charges 150, 200. Yeah, yeah, I would say that sounds about right. It's it's hard to put an exact price on that. Um, the other thing that agencies like to do is they like to base a lot more um, on the project, right? Because they know generally how long something is going to take, um, and they know what the or they they know generally how long your project is going to take, and they know what their developers are capable of, and so that helps them price a project a little bit more effectively than a freelancer would, and so they can take on the work like that. Sorry, I'm, I'm getting a, a call at the same time, so sorry, me off. Oh. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so so that's what agencies do, and so if you can you can move away from agencies and and. Generally, funded companies, um, you know, startups and things of that nature will hire agencies if they don't have a technical co-founder or something like that to manage their project and manage the the application that they're building. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that answers your question. There's, there's some technical interruptions there. Uh, yeah, that is good. Um, so well, let's do five more minutes. I just want to run down and ask you a few more questions. Um, you know, you're, you're getting – uh, you know, near the end of college, uh, do you see yourself doing contracting full-time afterwards or working for, a, you know, like a standard big company? Sure, that's a good question. So one of the reasons why um, I got into freelancing and, you know, doing self-employed work is because I'm not a huge fan of this idea of getting paid um, for your time, right? So I'm I'm more interested in getting paid based on the value that I provide. And so when when you focus on the value being provided, you know, you might work at a business or a Fortune 50, 500 company where you save the business millions of dollars a year or do some other kind of incredible work and offer all kinds of value to them. But really, then you end up getting paid, you know, your salary, whatever it is, um, 60 to 100K, I guess as a developer, something like that. Um, and it and it doesn't really translate to the the value that you ended up offering that business. So I'm really attracted to this idea of building my own business, whether that's a bootstrap sort of independent business um, that you see popping up a lot more now, building software as a service product, products and things of that nature, or um, you know more of a traditional startup venture funded um, type of project. Gotcha. So yeah, well, let's talk about that. I know you have some uh, 
your own startup that you're working on. One of them is called Churnburn. Uh, can you tell us about that? I'd love to give you a plug. Sure, of course. So a Burn Churn is a, a product that I built, and the idea is that SaaS businesses and subscription businesses um, commonly lose customers very early in the process. So maybe, for example, um, you're Netflix and you offer a 14-day trial, and what happens is a user doesn't have time to try out your product during a 14-day trial, so they just quit. They decide, um, I'm not going to use Netflix. I didn't get a chance to use it. It's not worth my time. Um, so what my product does is it allows you to automate options and actions that integrates heavily with your application and your payment processor to do things like extend their trial or, um, you know, offer them a discount for a couple months to stay um, on your product and collect feedback as to why they might be interested in exiting or churning off of your product. And by using all of these insights, this analytics, and these automated options, you can increase or your uh, retention rate so that you can hopefully also increase your overall revenue. Gotcha. That sounds like a useful product. Yeah, it's um, it launched about, I don't know, two or three weeks ago here, and uh, we've got more than a dozen businesses on board who are already um, using it, and we're seeing really promising results. Uh, they're saving a lot of money and, and retaining a lot more users. Okay, great. Uh, is that at burnstern.io? Sorry? Uh, well, what is the URL for your product? Sure. It is burnchurn.io. Gotcha. That is HTTP or P colon slash slash burnchurn.io. All right. That's great, Kevin. Um, all right. Two two questions. Uh, we'll, we'll make them real quick. What are, what are the tech stacks you've been using for your product? Sure. So that's a common question I get. Um, even for I want to get into freelancing, what technology should I learn? Um, and so obviously the first thing um, is if you want to get into web development freelancing, at the very least, you're going to want to learn things like HTML, CSS, JavaScript, uh, and the very basic static side things. Um, generally what I use for my tech stack is I use Ruby on Rails, um, which, you know, I, I get some hate for. It's not part of that really new JavaScript uh, framework, but generally you want to ship things as fast as possible, and I find Rails lets me do that. Um, and then I also connect that with uh, React on the front end, um, which is really nice for, you know, working with components and reusable, the reusable nature of the front end. And then something like Amazon Web Services or Heroku to host it and uh, keep it really simple so that you can ship really fast. Gotcha. All right, and then a final question is, um, I guess this is decided by you. What 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 last thing would you tell our audience, you know, college students or maybe employees looking to do their own contract work? Sure, I I would tell them. Um, that's a great question. I guess I would tell them uh, to not be afraid to start. Um, the the hardest part with doing all of it is getting your first client, and once you get past that first uh, that first stepping stone, it just keeps getting easier. Um, 
I, I meet with a lot of people and talk to them about how they can get started contracting and end up following up with them three months later and finding out that they really didn't do all that much with the information. And the difference that I see in people that um, do end up using that information and being successful and the people that don't um, are the people that look at the two options, you know, freelancing um, and working for themselves and then whatever the other option is, whether that's working at the coffee shop down the street or not having a job or whatever it is. And they look at it and say, okay, the alternative to not being able to work for myself and have these clients and, and make this rate is just so terrible that I have to jump in. And um, even though it makes me nervous and it's hard to do, I'm going to start contracting and start working. Um, and so, like I said, it, it doesn't really matter whether you're working for free, pro bono, like $12 an hour, um, $80 an hour. Just get that first client and get working with them, and that will definitely get your ball rolling. It will help a lot. All right, that is great advice, Kevin. Uh, well, thank you for joining the show. Um, yeah, I'm glad to have been. Hopefully, one listener will you know take your words and apply them. Certainly, certainly. All right, well, you have a nice day. All right, thanks, John. All right, thank you. See you. See you.